0: There. We. Go.
1: That's outstanding. Like a farmer in his field.
2: Well, if that isn't some juicy content.
1: Indeed. Circle gets the square.
2: I'm gonna pull some fast gotcha questions.
1: Carry on, James. Carry on.
2: You know what, Craig? That's a good call.
1: It is another edition of the Channel Futures podcast, Coffee with Craig and James. I'm Craig Galbraith, Editorial Director with Channel Futures. Joining me, as always, our outstanding news editor, Mr. James Anderson. James, how are you?
2: Craig, uh, I'm doing great. You know what? There's a lot to be happy about. My Duncan barista knows my order and i walked in there today and i didn't even have to ask he he had it all set up by the time i hit the counter that sort of thing makes you feel pretty special doesn't it
1: oh it does it does so you might uh playing off of our opening song here you might say that today is at least close to the greatest day you've ever known no it's
2: the greatest day i've had yet (laughs) yeah What, what about you
1: Get low standards there when it's just about the coffee, right? Although this is a coffee podcast, so uh, what can I say?
2: Yeah, I'm just following the theme.
1: And of course, James Smashing Pumpkins today from 1993, the 93rd episode. It's like obligatory that uh, I've got to bring that up. I don't know what we're going to do when we hit like episode 122, because then I'm going to have to look to the future uh, to find music, and then, then we might be in trouble.
2: That's going to be a problem, but Craig, you are a creative person and you're good at finding loopholes, so I I believe you'll do great at this.
1: Maybe Digi, our digital services robot mascot, can help with the analytics and and figuring out what songs might be uh, coming out in the future. Yeah.
2: Or maybe we'll just start slowing our podcast releases to once a year so that every (laughs) year, like, we'll be fine, we'll just pick the most popular song of that year.
1: There you go. There you go. That might be the easiest, easiest thing to do for sure.
2: What about you? How are you doing?
1: <laughs> I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Uh, you know, I was excited to uh, see you break out a new virtual background uh, for our video conferencing efforts here. Uh, meeting we had this morning. You were you were feeling inspired. I understand. You had kind of a starry. Uh, pink. I don't know if it was it wasn't northern lights. Those are more what blue and green, but it made me feel good. It was like a a starry background. What was up with that?
2: Yeah, there was a lot of purple in there. Um, (laughs) I just felt like I wanted to have a nice virtual background today because well, don't tell Bobby, but I was sitting on a couch and you know, everyone normally puts buildings or rooms in their virtual background, which is fine. It's fine. But uh, you know, I like to be unique sometimes. So I thought that was as unique as I could get. Also, you know, I watched the movie Voyagers uh mm. over the weekend. My girlfriend and I were driving back from Michigan. We decided to stop in the middle of nowhere at a theater, and what they had planned was this terrible Lord of the Flies knockoff set in space called <laughs> Voyagers, and so we watched that. And so wow. I've I've got space on the mind.
1: How how old a movie is that? It seems like I've heard the title before, but I haven't seen it.
2: Um, it's sent. It well. It's sent. Set, not set in 2021. It was made in 2021. It might remind you of Passengers or uh, other space movies. Very, very generic name.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Got it. That's probably why it's uh, not doing that well. At least as far as I know, since I haven't heard of it. But that doesn't mean anything. I'm not necessarily the pop culture guru. But we're gonna find out later if I am uh, when we bring up our latest edition of our generational clash i'm looking forward to that we're gonna do Ooh. tv shows this time see uh mm. who has better knowledge of the others freshman year in college and what was popular back then so that's mm. gonna be fun
2: nice segue yeah i guarantee i'm going to lose because uh, you i i do believe you've kept watching tv but uh yes. yeah we'll see i mean low expectations but uh we'll, we'll have a good time
1: Well, if I do win, uh, I'm going to really think that the idea for this generational clash was an excellent one, which was your idea. So if you set yourself up to lose, you know, that's your problem, right?
2: Yeah, that's what we talked about last week. You know, (laughs) pick your goalposts. Pick your goalposts.
1: Yes, absolutely. So uh, you've got to be pretty excited about this episode, no doubt. I certainly am.
2: Oh, absolutely. No, I feel happy. I feel happy. We got Tiffany Bova coming on gonna shed some fascinating insights on sales, the sales process, how that's evolving, how we do sales in a virtual context. And uh, after that, be sure to not bow out because we've got another juicy interview coming up with a partner who's going to shed some interesting insights into the agent channel. So pretty excited about that.
1: Yeah, yeah, good stuff. Tiffany Bova, of course, the salesforce, growth and innovation evangelist i love that title and and you'll see that uh, we have a little fun with that uh, talking about it here in a little bit but uh, she's such a rock star in in our industry in the channel and in technology and business uh gonna really dig into business growth as you mentioned uh how we come out of this pandemic a lot of topics we're going to touch with her a little bit of an extended interview a little longer than some that we often do so Uh, Looking forward to that for sure. And another agent contact of yours, uh, James, again, bringing the partner voice to this podcast. Uh, Looking forward to that.
2: Yeah, Jolene Langford talking about uh, her journey in the channel, and it's going to be a good conversation.
1: All right. Uh, Without further ado, let's get right into that uh, interview with Tiffany Bova. What do you say?
2: Let's do this.
1: All right, James, my pleasure to welcome into the Coffee House, uh, someone our channel partner's audience knows very well. She is the Global Growth and Innovation Evangelist at Salesforce, also a former Distinguished Analyst and Research Fellow at Gartner, and frequent Channel Partners Conference and Expo Speaker, Tiffany Bova. Tiffany, how are you?
3: I'm great. I'm great. Thank you for having me today.
1: Absolutely. Glad to have you. How's uh, 2021 going for you so far?
3: Uh feels a little bit still like 2020, but I, I finally feel like there's light at the end of this tunnel. So looking forward to 2022. <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. Hopefully, we'll be all uh, be back on the road at least to some extent pretty soon.
2: No doubt, it's been uh, the longest 17-month year ever. So, Tiffany, uh, on this podcast and on our websites, we talk a lot about the new normal. It's you know a phrase that we we tend to beat to death. Unfortunately, um, we talk a lot about what the new normal looks like for customers, um, but not so much for the partners in our audience, these these people who are, are making these, these sales uh, to these customers. So from your perspective, what are some of the biggest adjustments that salespeople have had to make during the pandemic? Do you see them continuing those practices that they adopted during the pandemic or are they going to return to those old practices as we you know move towards maybe doing more face-to-face meetings? Long question. <laughs>
3: Yeah, a lot of questions in there. I, I would say this, I'd say first and foremost, uh, you know, overnight, the art of selling, the science of selling, the role of selling was changed instantaneously on a global basis. You know, sometimes things will happen in a particular sector sector, or region or company sort of size, but to globally have all field sellers basically working from home or, you know, back inside uh, overnight was highly disruptive. Disruptive to the selling motion, for you know, channel partners and vendors alike, but more importantly, you know, both the selling and the buying shifted to digital in like 24 hours. But one of the things that was really challenging during that time is there's a stat out that 66% of small businesses had no online presence at all before the pandemic. So there was still a tremendous amount of opportunity and kind of the lack of investments were kind of cracked open during those first three to five months where businesses were finding themselves really caught at a disadvantage because of the fact that they had not made digital investments, which in some way, you know, you can say in the small business sector tends to be the responsibility of the channel partners. So, you know, as you said, that new normal, next normal, you don't like, I don't like that term either. I I sort of lean into future, kind of the next future or the new future, you know, what will it look like based on all the things we've learned over the last 14 months?
1: I like that, the next future. I definitely, I definitely going to employ that if that's okay with you. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so Tiffany, let, let me follow that up. And and this is a similar question, but I'd like to take it uh, sort of from a business owner point of view. And I realize some of the channel partners in our audience are, are owners of their own businesses as well. But as they maybe make decisions around getting back to uh, some of the things they used to do pre-pandemic, do you have any best practices uh, out there now that are perhaps different For the business owner uh, than before, based on some of the lessons we've learned in the past year?
3: Yeah, I'd say this. I'd say business owners, entrepreneurs, regardless of industry, kind of are at a crossroads. They have a choice. They can go back to the status quo, kind of what you were just saying, is you know, they want to get back to the way it was pre-pandemic, or you know, the other choice is sort of reimagine what's possible. And so this is a fantastic opportunity for channel partners to sort of say, all right, what got us here might not get us where we want to go in the future. If we could challenge all the assumptions in our business, would we do something different? If we now know uh, over the last 14 months that the buying and selling motions uh, have completely changed, would we do something different? The fact that now digital first is kind of front and center for so many, uh, not that we weren't making investments before, but you know, now it's going to be a hybrid for some period of time and sellers actually in a survey we did it was some high 50% range were saying that they expected their roles to change forever you know that it's not going to go back to the way that it was that they're not going to travel as much as they used to that a lot of the interactions will in fact be in this hybrid model. So uh, my my challenge to you know entrepreneurs and and channel partner owners is to actually challenge all the things that you think, you're trying to get back to like, ask yourself the question, is that really the way our customers are going to want to buy or engage with us? Are those really the offers that we want to put forward? Are those really the vendors we want to work with? Like whatever the question might be, it's like challenge all your assumptions.
1: So on a personal note, uh, Tiffany, I know is someone who has been on the road a lot herself in the past. Where do you see yourself in this? Uh, Do you see yourself at home a lot more than you were before? Are you going to get back out there, uh, you know, on a weekly or a couple times a month basis?
3: Uh, I hope I get back out there. You know, it, it's uh, in 2019, I flew uh, 375,000 miles. I was on six continents, gave 100 keynotes somewhere, you know, meeting with customers uh, around the world. And it's really what I enjoy doing. I mean, I, that's what I, one of the things I love most about my job. And it's really about just stimulating thinking and having conversations with people who are doing what I was just talking about, right? They're sort of challenging all the assumptions. What are they challenging? How are they challenging? What are they learning? It's such a great way for me to uh, connect with with people. And uh, while I obviously am still doing it uh, in a video and remote way, uh, I I still believe there's just no no option or alternative for real face-to-face conversations. not all the time, but I think that my travel schedule will will also be reimagined. Will I always get on a plane for a customer meeting or will I do it, you know, via video keynotes and big, big stages? uh, I think that that sort of alludes to the comment I was making a few minutes ago on, you know, I'm looking forward to 2022. I feel like, you know, we might get into some small events uh, as we get past summer and into the end of this year, but I feel like the large events are still a little bit away.
1: We miss it too, for sure.
0: So
2: Tiffany, wanted to ask you uh, about your book, Growth IQ, which came out um, about three years ago. I-, I recall back in the days when we had conferences that people were getting copies of that um, at that show. In that book, you talked about strategies for building sustainable growth, and pretty much you know any company could-, could apply that to their business. I'm curious, as you look back on that book that you wrote, is there anything else you would add to that? Anything else you would change to that if you had to rewrite it? And uh, is there going to be a sequel anytime soon?
3: So uh, I'll start with the first one. Uh, There's one sentence in the book I wish I could rewrite. You know, there was a quote uh, of some research that Bain Bain and Company did at the beginning of, of the book, Growth IQ, that basically the net of it was that kind of the number one reason companies were unable to create sustainable and repeatable growth was internal inertia, not external forces. And right after that external forces period, I then said, unless it's a black swan event, <laughs> and here we are, right? Mm-hmm. So that was a little disruptive to the thought that there was a lot of things that had to internally change and, and I still believe they have to internally change, but now we have you know, an even more urgent catalyst in the way of this pandemic that once again is sort of cracked open the lack of investments and kind of the status quo, right? How do we reimagine? But if you were to say, you know, what would I add? Today, the the whole purpose of why and and how I wrote the book was that it would be as timeless as possible. Maybe I might use different stories uh, and customer examples or company examples, but the 10 paths to growth are still relevant today like they were 10 years ago, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago. Right? I didn't invent those paths. I just modernized them based on what we technically have at our fingertips today that we didn't have some 20 or 30 years ago. So I'd say that it, that doesn't change. But what I would say from a focus standpoint is last year, I was really trying to help customers understand that their existing base of customers is a treasure trove for them. And that was one of the paths uh, for growth, customer base penetration, and maybe not net new customer acquisition, right? I'm talking sort of, you know, March, April, May, June of 2020, it was a little harder. People were uh, really trying to figure out, boy, what's going on and how do I stabilize my business before I ever think about buying and consuming something about my business right i I need to make sure i'm going to have one so let me get it settled before i start to make investments so going into the base was absolutely i thought uh priority number one and then priority number two was going after net new customer acquisition i feel like that sort of balance between the two so for channel partners it's what else could you sell to your existing basic customers if you could sell one more thing one more service one more product to all the customers that you have it would be a great sales quarter, but how do you do it in a way that you can make it repeatable, personalized, scalable, relevant, just in time, and you know, using all the channels that they want, kind of all the buzzwords you would expect? That is where sort of the aha moment lies for, for business owners today to figure out how am I going to grow going forward, and I can't just rely on the things that I did in the past. So, I don't know if I would change anything in Growth IQ outside of the stories and maybe a couple of sentences based on the Black Swan event. But if I were to write a follow-up on it, uh, which we're sort of talking about right now, um, it would be really digging into uh, one of the pillars of Growth IQ, which was sequence. Um, but that—that's sort of where I am, and and I hope I hope that people who have read the book feel the same way that they feel it's equally relevant today as it was, you know, two and a half years ago when it published.
1: Yeah, that's great, Tiffany. So maybe we're breaking a little bit of news here that we're talking about another book. What do you think? Coffee with Craig and James. Is this breaking news?
3: Uh, It's a little bit of breaking news. You know, I've been asked a lot and I I haven't decided, you know, some of it is my habit. I wrote Growth IQ while flying, you know, on airplanes, in lounges, in hotels. Like that was my thinking time. And I haven't had the same level of thinking time over the last 14 (laughs) months. So, you know, I'd have to sort of create a new, uh, way for me to uh, get inspired on those stories. But, you know, I'm thinking about it. I'll say that I'm thinking about it.
1: All right. All right. Sounds good. So um, I wanted to ask you, we recently read some commentary online about the uh, the experience equation, uh, which then directed me to the report of that same name uh, published by Salesforce and Forbes. Now, I understand you were either the author or co-author of that. Is that correct?
3: Uh, I, yes, I was, it, it was a hypothesis that I brought to our CMO, uh, a farmer CMO and said, I I have this hypothesis, would you be willing to let me prove it out? And she Mm -hmm. said, yes. And so we did a project with Forbes insight and that was the uh, output of that work.
1: So this really hammers home the point that, you know, a good employee experience is critical to customers having a good experience. So I, I hoped you could drill down on that just a bit for our audience, maybe give a couple of takeaways. From that hypothesis, uh, the business owners in our audience could apply at their companies?
3: Yeah, I, I would say this, that you know, many years ago when I was a Gartner analyst, I used to always say customer first, like that needs to be your true north. And it's literally the first sentence in my first growth path customer experience, like customers should be your true north. And I've changed that just so slightly, yet hugely impactful, I think. It's kind of employee first and customer centricity so employee engagement leads to greater customer satisfaction those two things lead to faster growth and the hypothesis was you know i work at salesforce and we're um, one of the best places to work in the world according to you know numerous surveys i think 17 countries were number one and we're in the top five pretty much everywhere else the second was we're one of the most innovative companies in the world according to you know other people's lists and third we're the fastest growing enterprise software company and I didn't think that was a coincidence. And so that was the hypothesis. If I could say it's a great place to work, i e employee satisfaction, it's highly innovative. So you know employees are more willing to you know take risks because they trust that if they fail, they can kind of keep going. and and then fastest enterprise growing software company, that was the whole growth angle. And so if you have happy employees, they're willing to go the extra mile. Um, maybe they're more friendly and pleasant. Uh, you know they're willing to collaborate. They're willing to sort of raise issues and find solutions. You know, all of those things, and and it will lead to a better customer experience. Now, if you have a really strong and and compelling customer experience, it does not necessarily mean that you have high employee engagement or a high employee experience. It doesn't work in the reverse. It definitely works from employee experience uh, to customer experience. But I will tell you that in the survey, as well as in the hundreds of conversations I've had since it launched, there's lots of companies that think about customer experience in isolation. Like, does the chief marketing officer own it? Does sales own it? Does customer success or customer support own it? Like fighting about who owns experience. And I rarely hear sort of, well, is it tied to who you're hiring, onboarding, the tools that the employees are getting? You know, do they have to log into five or six things in order to get their job done? Mm. Um, We had done some research that showed an average enterprise has some 900 apps and only 27% of them were integrated. That means as an employee, I'd have to go to multiple places to find information. That's not a great experience. So you know, some of this is technology-based, some of it is people-based, some of it is process-based. But we're actually gonna dig uh, into this again. We're launching this on a global basis. That was just a US uh, survey that we did last year. Um, and this one that we're we're beginning to roll out right now will be in uh, on a global basis. And so really trying to prove out this hypothesis on engagement, experience, driving better growth. And by the way, we found that it was 1.8x growth for those high performers. For a billion-dollar brand, it's $40 million. If you're a small partner, it can be meaningful to you that you don't churn out more customers. You're not losing employees. You know, there's lots of goodness in there that you can uh, reach for if you think about those two things together.
2: Oh, that's great. It's good stuff, Tiffany, thanks for that. Would you mind offering up one or two business or technology trends that you think partners would do well to keep tabs of over the next few months?
3: You know, I'd say this, I'd say there are many things that they and uh, should have learned within their own business and then seen potentially customers, their customers do, or other customers in segments and in industries that they serve today. And how can you package those things up to be more available to maybe smaller businesses or medium business? How do you create it in some kind of pre-configured bundle so that small businesses can, can get access to all of these technology capabilities that are now driving business? So do they have a video strategy? You know, Do they have a, a bot strategy, which we saw a ton of deployment into customer service over the last six to eight months, just trying to work from anywhere and deliver service, you know, in a in a thoughtful way for customers. So I'd say what if you're just going to leave this last 14 months and basically sell everything you sold before the same way you sold it in the same way with the same value prop and the same selling team and the same marketing and messaging and the same website, you've absolutely missed an opportunity that this digital first mentality is now really landed for so many who maybe didn't believe in it. Uh, and we've also seen how technology has kept businesses going communication and engagement going service going sales and commerce going you know everything Uh, and really quite honestly the channel knows this this is nothing new especially if you're in the technology channel you're listening to me going yeah i didn't hear anything i don't know Mm -hmm. actioning it and doing it yourself in your own business disrupting your own status quo you know, really digging deep to say what are the services and uh, offers and solutions and outcomes our customers are looking for um, today versus 12 months ago, and what would they be looking for 12 to 24 months from now. You have to sort of light the way, especially for those that don't have IT departments themselves. So this is really an opportunity for you to try some new things, test it, go out to your trusted customer base, get a customer advisory board together. And start floating some ideas on what you might want to do in the future and see how they land with your customers.
1: Yeah, channel partners, definitely used to evolving their businesses for sure. Some good tips there, Tiffany. Um, You know, you've been an advocate for diversity and inclusion and the importance of having multiple voices that can contribute to uh, the overall success story of a business. Uh, Working on a huge initiative here at Channel Futures, With our diversity, equity, and inclusion community. So as an expert in business growth, I was hoping you could give us your take on on why it's just so important to have viewpoints coming from different backgrounds at your company.
3: You know, this is always tricky because whenever I post, I'm just going to pick, you know, that I'll post on LinkedIn and I'll say something about this. And what's most fascinating to me is the comments that get made underneath it. I'm totally in, I get it, or Now, why does that have any bearing? It should be somebody with the best qualified. And for me, it's really about providing opportunity for a wider pool of who is qualified. So you're right. Probably the best person who was qualified in the candidates that you had to hire is the one you hired. But was the pool of candidates broad enough? Were you giving yourselves some opportunity to bring in diversity of thought, not just diversity of gender or race or religion or you know origin or language or any of the things that you might say it's also diversity of thought and bringing in different points of view allows you to once again challenge that status quo and so i'm a fan of mixing it up i think if you have the same people making the same decisions that they made two years ago or three years ago and you say we tried that it didn't work our competition isn't doing that our culture can't handle it and you have you know three or four reasons why it's not going to work if you had a new voice into the conversation would they maybe come up with a new idea and you know it isn't just about offering them a seat at the table that's kind of you know one part of it but you have to give them the space to actually share their thoughts that's another part of it but then you have to be willing to listen and so i'm just going to give this example that depending on what you're selling and into what industry who's your buyer If your buyer is predominantly millennials and you don't have any millennials making decisions at your business, you're probably missing something. If your target audience is, you know, your product is targeted towards women, do you have women, you know, making decisions about product design or how it's sold or the messaging? Um, If it is, you know, that you are going to sell something to a particular demographic, like people of color, do you have that representation in your organization? I'm a fan in saying, like let your company represent the client base you're serving as well as your greater shareholder community. Like what are the vendors, you know, the communities that you serve and do you have good representation? And there's so much research out there that shows that you have better performance when you do those things. And so for those that have said, well, we are fairly um, diverse. We've got, you know, two women and six men. So we didn't used to have two women, like that's great. But if there's no people of color, that's not as diverse as it could be. And once again, this isn't about checking a box. This is about widening the pool uh, that you will consider for new roles. And so go to places that you might not otherwise have gone um, to find those people. And I think you will be better off for it. That's for sure.
1: Yeah, there are so many levels to that uh, that you you brought up rather than just saying you're going to do something and, and going and doing it. It's how it, how it applies to your business as well. Uh, Tiffany, thanks so much for your time today. We do appreciate it. Before we let you go, I just wanted to throw this out at you. Now, as the global growth and innovation evangelist, how long have you been in that position? Five years, something like that?
3: Yeah, five years, uh, a couple weeks ago.
1: So, oh, really? So this is like an anniversary of sorts. I just wanted to say it seems like that was really the first time that I, I heard that term evangelist. Outside of the uh, Sunday morning TV preachers, and now everybody's on social media calling themselves an evangelist. Yep. So yep. do you sort of feel like a a pioneer of tech evangelists, so to speak?
3: um i would I would say Guy Kawasaki would probably greatly disagree with me. He was a <laughs> he was an evangelist at Apple back uh, working for Steve Jobs uh, many years ago. i I think it's been almost twenty at this point. And there were a few evangelists at uh, at Salesforce before I joined as well. but it, it's a great way to, communicate, if you will, that I don't have any responsibility in that way of having you know groups of people reporting to me or quotas that you know my job is really to go out there and talk about the art of the possible and 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 tell people stories about how you know other companies and others uh, are actually doing things to help them be better in their business. So uh, it's evangelizing sort of that art of the possible. and uh, you know it, it's a it's a very well chosen title. To sort of get myself out of conversations that i'm just not really appropriate for
1: there you go there you go well you're you're a channel evangelist for sure tiffany thank you so much again i hope you have a great rest of your day
3: thank you for having me
1: thanks tiffany okay james fantastic uh, stuff there from tiffany uh we're going to continue to have uh, more rock stars uh, from the industry on our podcast as we really dial it up here over the next few weeks We're going to be coming out with these a little more frequently we've already got about four or five more interviews already on the books so uh looking forward to sitting down with you and some big names in the industry uh more often here going forward
2: yeah buckle up casties uh get ready for a tidal wave of content in audio (laughs) format
1: (laughs) yes and uh, that means of course you and i uh, will have to be a little more creative uh, going forward as well we won't just be able to rest on the old uh, classic bits uh, we're gonna have to have to make them good
2: we're gonna have to but you know we'll we'll, we'll give you that old timey stuff as well
1: yeah oh yeah, yeah absolutely so um let's talk briefly before we get into our next interview about uh channel partners conference and expo homecoming coming up november first through the fourth uh still got so many people out there chomping at the bit uh, to be part of this event, you can, of course, uh, go to the CP Expo website and register for it. Uh, it's appropriate that we just had Tiffany on, uh, James, because I continue to receive a lot of these notifications that come into our management team whenever there is a reference to somebody signing up, uh, an exhibitor, for instance, uh, for the Expo. Uh, so we're seeing those more frequently now as the excitement builds up for this event, uh, less than seven months away now uh i can't wait to see that expo hall filling up uh it's happening it's happening my friend
2: well it's good to hear from digi our digital services robot mascot you know i don't i don't feel as if
1: we've heard much from him so far this year well you know he's he's been kind of busy actually
2: is it true that he's taken on a second job
1: yeah well actually james it's a third job one of course being our mascot for this podcast The other running all of those analytics he's always uh, got going through his robot brain. Uh, But as it turns out, he can uh, actually multitask.
2: Wait. Oh, yeah. I think that's him on the Channel Partners Conference and Expo website, isn't it?
1: Yeah, it is indeed. Digi has taken on the role of official chat bot on our Expo site.
2: You know, I'm, I'm happy he's employed. But uh, it, it does seem a little beneath him. I mm. mean, he's he's basically the IBM Watson of Channel Partners and Channel Futures, isn't that uh, isn't that a little degrading? A chatbot? Is that
1: bite mm. your tongue, my friend? I can't think of a more important job than communicating with our loyal audience, much like he does in this podcast uh, from time to time. But in this case, of course, he's answering important questions that come in from both our longtime exhibitors and sponsors and new exhibitors at our show as well as the partners who will be attending. Uh, And besides, uh, he says, ever since you came on board, you've been uh, kind of pushing him aside. Apparently you're tougher than our old friend Kevin was uh, because that bot owned him.
2: You know, what I was taught as a child was uh, you just can't give those types of people attention, you know? So for (laughs) me, Digi has been a, a blank space. And really, he's winning right now by me talking yeah. about him, but I'm trying to talk about him in a in a pitiable way. You know, I <laughs> pity him.
0: I pity the fool. Yes. And in
2: doing so, my very compassion actually makes him feel even smaller. So it all works to my advantage.
1: Oh, interesting. It sounds like uh, some mental mind game, some manipulation you've got going on there.
2: Always playing the game, Craig.
1: <laughs> all right, so speaking of games, just a reminder to our audience, uh, coming up after our next interview, Round three of the generational clash. I like it when you say it better. Can you say it?
2: Generational clash.
1: Yeah, there you go. There you go. So we did music before we did movies. Now we're going to do TV shows from the year we were freshmen in college. So stick around for that uh, coming up uh, after this next interview. Uh, Speaking of, uh, you want to set this up for us a little bit?
2: yeah jolene langford runs athenium technology group um she's been in the agent channel for for several years having um, come from the carrier side to start her own company and she's going to give some pretty good perspectives on what it's like to form an agency what it's like to grow as an agency Um, her her thoughts on the master agency model also her thoughts um, her perspective as a woman in the technology sector is someone who's sitting at um, the sales table from uh, the perspective of a woman, what that is like. So lots of angles we're going to cover here, and I think it's going to be pretty good. Jolene is a a pretty well-respected source in the industry.
1: Yeah, I'm excited. Uh, Let's do it. Jolene. Well, we're excited to welcome onto
2: the show Jolene Langford. She is the owner of Athenium Technology Group, which is a technology consultancy based in Oregon. Jolene, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
2: Yeah, it's uh, it's been great talking to you before, uh, uh, you know, just kind of picking your brain about what's going on in the agent channel. And, and you seem to have the respect of a lot of your peers, so would love to share some of your story with the casties and uh you know get some advice and some observations from you. That sound good to you?
0: Yep, that's great.
2: Awesome. Could you talk to us a little bit about the background of Athenium? So how'd the company get started? What does it do? And kind of kind of give us some of that story.
0: Sure. So I actually started in telecommunications, working for a competitive local exchange carrier in Portland, Oregon, back in 2008. There had been a recession at that time and I was working in an industry where it was becoming increasingly difficult to actually help customers or sell any solutions. And so a friend of mine said, hey, utilities are pretty recession proof, so come on over here. So I worked there for about five or six years selling the traditional TDM telecom solutions. And after about five years, I just realized I couldn't really consult for my customers the way that I wanted to. Couldn't really offer them true trusted advisor type of experience. And so um, I left that company. I went to work for a company actually outside of the industry and then started my agency that I have today the very same day. So I worked there. I worked for this other company selling um, software as a service for about three years. And in that time, I was running my agency sort of reactively on the side, building up um, enough revenue so that I could eventually leave that job. And so uh, the success mark was around that three-year mark. I was able to um, jump into Athenium full-time. So I actually had a different company name. That was back in 2014. So from 2014 to... Just actually, January of this year, I was a part of a company called Athena Solutions. So I, I co-founded that with my former business partner. And um, effective January 1st of this year, I did a bit of a rebrand and moved away from that partnership, and then rebranded as Athenium Technology Group.
1: So, Jolene, interesting to hear you bring up the recession. It's uh, we hear a lot of stories from some businesses that uh, you know not only before, but some of them were born out of that. And it, it's been interesting to hear your story as you went on to form your agency, uh, probably a lot of partners could relate to some of the things you've gone through in terms of challenges. Uh, you want to talk about that a little bit?
0: You know, I couldn't have this conversation without calling out sort of the, the elephants in the room. One of the greatest challenges I think that I face is being a um, a woman in technology. So. Mm-hmm. There are definitely times where um, I don't necessarily feel like I have a, a fair seat at the table. Sometimes I'm, I'm not listened to by uh, peers or by, um, by, by my prospective clients the same way I, I would be if I were a man. Um, so I think kind of being a woman in tech is challenging. We have a tough hill to climb in some regards. You know, there aren't a lot of women in this role. Um, and if they are, they are generally very successful. I think we have a good pattern of success, but I would say that is my greatest challenge. And then beyond that, I think you don't get a lot of people stepping up saying, I want to be your mentor. Can I be your mentor? Right. Or people raising a hand because we're all so busy running our own businesses. So I think the other challenge is, you know, Teleris has been a great, I guess, mentor partner for me overall, but you know, they're servicing. A number of different agents, you know, they do give me a lot of time and attention, but I think not having a mentor that's dedicated to helping ensure my success and helping pull me up through the ranks has been a bit of a challenge for me.
2: Yeah, and understandably so. Jillian, for you, as you were going through that adversity of the uphill climb of establishing credibility in a room full of biases. What kept you going were there moments where you where you realized that you really did have what it took? What was that like for you seeing yourself kind of turn the tables?
0: Ah, uh, gosh, where do I begin with that one? I think you know, you walk into these situations and, you know, I know myself. I know what I'm capable of. I know how technical I am. I know where my strengths and my weaknesses are. And I think sometimes it's just kind of fun to have a first call with somebody And they really don't know who you are and they don't lend you a lot of, I guess they're not looking at you as being very credible. And then they hear your name come from, say, your master agent, where they realize that you're actually a pretty big player in this space. And so then that second conversation becomes more meaningful. They're listening more intently because they know that you actually are a person of importance in this space and and it seems to garner more respect in that second conversation. And that that always just kind of puts a smile on my face because you can literally feel the difference between that first conversation and that second conversation. So that's that's a bit rewarding.
1: Yeah, that confidence thing I think has to be has to be a really big deal. That that first time you sort of realize that I mean as you said you've you've always had a lot of confidence in your own abilities, but when you've got that uh, uphill climb with with folks that might not uh, believe in you right away, that's certainly something you've got to overcome that uh, some of those men, quite frankly, uh, have not had to deal with in this business. Uh, and it's I'm sure it's not just in technology and in sales, but it, it could uh, be across other industries as well, don't you think?
0: Oh, I'm sure it transcends everywhere. And, you know, I mean, I I wouldn't label myself a feminist or anything. It's just I am in a predominantly male dominated industry. And we do see more women joining, you know, the channel from representing suppliers. And we do see, you know, handfuls of female agents coming up through the ranks. But it's not at the pace that I would like to see. And so I actually have a program where I predominantly try to just mentor females trying to get into the channel. So I think that's really um, something that gives me further confidence that we are heading in the right direction.
2: Yeah, absolutely. As you're connecting with some of those perhaps younger female agents, what are some of the initial things that you want to communicate to them? What, what are some foundational things that you try to help them with, especially in um, you know the indirect technology sales channel?
0: Well, I think the first question everybody has to ask themselves is, you know, unless they're independently wealthy, is h- how do I afford to do this, right? I mean, I can't afford to live without a paycheck. So how how do I get started? And I always tell the people that I mentor my story about how I had to work two jobs for 3 years to be able to make this happen. And and people have to be able to do that. Again, if you're not independently wealthy, where's the money going to come from to support yourself because when you start having business relationships in the channel and you start consulting for your customers from the time that a customer decides to move forward with a supplier that you've presented to them, it can be six, nine, 12 months down the road before you're actually seeing any compensation on that. So first and foremost is helping people figure out how to get a business going. So whether that's helping them set up their LLC or their S corp, And then really teaching them how to have the conversation with their current employer and make sure that if they're currently employed, that it's not a conflict of interest to be essentially moonlighting and and not get themselves in trouble. Right. That's not what we want here. So um, I think getting the financial stuff situated so that they can figure out how to afford to do this. And then I think the second thing is people always want to know where do I start, right? Where we can sell so many different products in the channel, where do I start? And and I always tell them, go back to your background, right? If your background is in telecom and you're comfortable with that, that's the product that you lead with. If your background is in cloud or, or data center, lead with that. So leading with the thing that you're most comfortable with is going to allow your confidence to come out so that when you're out there prospecting and telling your story, you can really feel like you're an expert in that area and then the other products will just sort of pull along with it. I mean, and at the end of the day, as long as your customers are happy with the service you're providing, that's really all that matters.
1: Yeah, that is some excellent advice, And You started talking about some products there. Uh, maybe you just touch on, and when we ask vendors this all the time and we get uh, various responses, but I'm, I'm curious if you would just want to touch on whether it's technology or, or business trends you're seeing uh, with the agent channel uh, this year, clearly we're coming out of this pandemic Fortunately, at least it appears that we are, but what are some of the things you're seeing that uh, maybe the rest of the partner community is looking at too?
0: Well, the biggest trend I think is is what you said around the pandemic. I mean, unified communications is literally flying off the shelves. I mean, I am seeing a bit of a slowdown right now, but from a product set, that was the one that seemed to be best positioned to help people work remotely. So from a tech perspective, I'm seeing that. Trends I'm seeing, I'm starting to see a lot of the master agents bring on a high number of new suppliers. So we're seeing a lot more supplier additions to the portfolios. I don't really know the background on that, but we are seeing a lot more of that. Um, And then there's certainly some consolidation happening where, you know, masters are going out and buying other masters. And again, I'm not super educated on why that's happening. I don't know what the implications of it are, but that's another trend And another trend that I'm seeing that I'm finding kind of interesting is it's a bit of a double-edged sword to even bring this up, but there used to be a time when I became an agent where I would get so many phone calls and emails from suppliers wanting appointments and wanting to talk to me and wanting to figure out how to get me to sell their solutions. And that's really slowing down. And I don't know if it's that my master agent is shielding me. And, you know, not providing my contact information. But I've seen over the last year a real slowdown of channel managers from the various companies just not reaching out anymore. Some of them are. Some of them still are. But the mm. volume of it has drastically decreased. And I don't I don't have an answer for why.
1: No, it's yeah. one to watch for sure. Maybe with fewer in-person meetings. I don't know
2: it's absolutely a thing that I've, I've heard from you know other agents and you're certainly not alone in in, in expressing that as am as i'm sure you've you're in conversation with other agents and and hearing that as well right
0: well and that's why it's a bit of a double edged sword because i definitely don't want to be overwhelmed with a ton of communication but it's it's almost kind of done a 180 and gone completely in the other direction where i still get probably two to three on a lighter day contacts from Uh, channel managers and on a heavier day, maybe five or six, but once upon a time, it was probably 20, 30 a day messages, channel managers trying to get in and get in front of me. So I don't know where they went, but again, it's a double-edged sword. Am I happy that I'm not getting overwhelmed? Probably a little bit, but at the same time, I mean, I need to be aware of these solutions that are out there so that I'm doing, you know, my due diligence to bring these technologies to my customers. So I'm aware of them.
1: James left to put on his reporter hat to check that out, but just make sure he doesn't get you like uh, 50, 50 calls in one day as yeah. a result.
0: <laughs> <laughs> don't do that. And unless they're willing to bring leads to me, I don't want 50 calls a day.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so Julian, before we let you go, um, Speaking of number of times a day, how many times do uh, people ask you about the Dolly Parton song?
0: <laughs> <laughs> which uh, Which Dolly Parton song is that? Huh?
1: Um, well, it's not <laughs> nine to five. I, I was thinking uh, the the one named after you or that you're named after or neither. <laughs> mm-hmm.
0: You know, it's kind of funny because I do get that brought up a lot. Um <laughs> And, and everybody asks me what my favorite version of it is. There's two of them. So my favorite version of uh, the Jolene song would probably be the Miley Cyrus version. Oh. And there's one by Pentatonix that's uh, pretty awesome. But, you know, it's funny. I actually get people that will send me text messages on Dolly Parton's birthday, letting me know it's Dolly Parton's birthday. <laughs> Or uh, I will meet people for the first time and they've never seen me and they're like, Oh, I really thought you'd have like big blonde hair. And I'm like, no, sorry to disappoint you. I'm just a redhead.
2: <laughs> I am so, so sorry. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you had a great, you had a great response to that. I don't think if there was a song out there just called Craig, I'd, I'd probably have much to much to go on. So that that's really great.
0: <laughs> yeah. They, they sing it to me too. Actually, I had a, A former coworker at Integra Telecom whose kids actually like played the guitar and sung the Jolene song and sent it to me in a recording. It was adorable.
1: (laughs) Well, that is great. I can tell you, Jolene, that uh, you didn't hear it because I'm putting it in post-production, but uh, you can be rest assured that uh, the song will play you in, as they say, here to this interview. So
0: I love it.
2: Awesome. Well, uh, Jillian, anything else you want to touch on or any, any final advice you want to give the casties before we close?
0: Well, I think the biggest piece of advice I can give you or the listeners is to um, find a mentor. That's something I'm still struggling with. So if anybody can figure out where I should find one of those, um, let me know. But that I think I have people that do mentor me, but having somebody exclusively as a mentor is still a, a void that I am looking to fill. So I think the sooner people do that, the less business mistakes they make and just a more clear roadmap is laid out for them. So find a mentor.
1: That's awesome. You should be commended for that, for sure. Clearly a passion. Uh, Jolene, thanks for your time today. Really appreciate it. Uh, Great discussion. Uh, Hope you have a really great rest of your day.
0: Thanks, you guys. It's been fun.
2: Great stuff from Jolene there. Very candid, uh, very, very open. I really enjoyed that, Craig.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And again, kudos to you to bringing that partner voice to this podcast. Uh, something I expect our audiences is, is really soaking in some some good nuggets there from Jolene. Uh, and I, of course, enjoyed uh, playing her in with uh, some Dolly Parton. You, you don't run into that many Jolene, so you've got to take advantage of it when you can.
2: Oh, she's a good sport. That's that's all I can <laughs> say.
1: Um, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. All right, so uh, as mentioned, as brought up earlier in this cast, uh, I understand you've gone back to the game lab and revisited uh, something we've done before. Again, not getting too creative this time, but hey, we've had fun with this one in the past, so uh, we're talking about our generational clash.
2: We've done songs, Mm -hmm. we've done movies, and what next to pursue but TV shows? Um, I think if... If uh, if I'm not mistaken mistaken we both are have gone for, not like the news TV shows or like educational TV shows. Oh,
1: of course not. No,
2: we're talking about entertainment. We're talking about serialized drama, <laughs> comedy, yeah, so on so forth. No, yeah. What do you What do you say? We do our third installment of generational clash.
1: I love it. We got to get right to it. Uh, I'd be remiss if I didn't bring up our records here, even though both uh, games were pretty pitiful as far as uh, what you and I were able to accomplish. I did manage to squeak out a victory in the music clash, and then uh, I did believe we declared because we were both so bad at the movies uh, that we declared that one a tie now here's how the game is played we've each selected three clips from television shows that were popular in the year that we were freshmen in college so for me that's 1991 uh, i will play clips from three popular shows shows that were actually in the top 10 in the nielsen readings in 1991 and james being much more youthful than i uh, will be selecting his programs from the year 2012 now fortunately i have a built-in advantage here since i was alive uh when these shows uh, happened in 2020 uh, in 2012 However, I've tried to select some of the very popular shows, ones that were on for several years, not just sort of one offs that were successful for one year, James. So I'm hoping that gives you a shot here.
2: You are very kind, my friend. Naturally, uh, I do not have the, all the top 10. They're not all in the top 10 for mine, yeah. just because there's lots of news and, you know, The Bachelor and, uh, yes. you know, reality shows. But uh, I do believe you have heard of all of these. As my parents are you know they're a little bit older than you um yeah. but they've all they've all seen these shows if that's if that's a hint okay. for you all right
1: well and it's understandable you could pick from a, a broader range not just the top 10 because i gotta think those would be a little easier for me and and you're a bit handicapped here anyway so uh yeah,
2: I mean, if, I, if i were really going for the competitive advantage i, I would go to like cartoon network and nickelodeon yeah. and that yeah. that would be mine but uh that's 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 not fair
1: yeah well we'll, we'll see we'll see we'll see what happens here um One one little handicap here also for me is that I'm not like a big comedy guy. I mean, I you know, I like to think I'm funny and you're funny. But uh, as far as watching television shows, if you've selected any comedies, if you go beyond The Simpsons uh, and maybe one or two other things, uh, my knowledge is, is not good. So you may you may have an advantage there. So we'll see.
2: I will say I really do not like any of these shows that I've selected, so I would not describe any of them as funny, even if they purport to be so. Um, <laughs> Good. No offense to those that watch these shows.
1: Well, that that'll be uh, that'll be interesting. So uh, let's get into it. Uh, how do we want to do this? You want to uh, play yours first, or yeah, sure, I'll I'll lead off for you here. Okay. All right. All right. Blueberry. not bad, but I prefer Apple.
3: Luckily for you, I'm not here for the pie. The present I want, none of you have. But you will get it for me.
1: Snow White's hard on a plate. <sighs> okay, so I know what this show is, but I've never seen it, and I don't remember the name of it. So, <laughs> so that's not helping very much. I do remember it was on, like, ABC, I'm pretty sure. It was sort of based on... Wait, I think it just came to me. Is this show Once Upon a Time?
2: Ding, ding, ding. Uh,
1: Yes. I really didn't think it was going to come to me, but then the whole fairy tale thing went through my head. Uh, Again, kind of lucky. It just popped in. I have never seen it. You ever watch uh, The Masked Singer and they do their first impression guesses? (laughs) When I first heard Queen and I was like, "Okay, Game of Thrones is a show I've never really watched before either, but it's popular. And I'm really glad we got a little further and I didn't guess Game of Thrones because that would have been uh, pretty embarrassing.
2: That's okay. Yeah, the Snow White part's a little bit revealing.
1: I knew what the show was before they actually said Snow White. But anyway, uh, well done. So
2: well done. That's a point for Sir Galbraith.
1: I I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Okay, uh, you're up next with...
2: Oh, come on, Mr. Secretary. You're not backing out on me, are you? Look, we can pre-tape in the morning and I'll have you on a plane to Helsinki in the afternoon. Come on. I'll do my Ted Koppel impression. (laughs) Uh, excuse me, a very urgent call just came in. I'm going to have to get back to you. Thank you, Mr. Secretary.
1: Okay, what do you got for me?
2: Okay, so it's not Cheers. I don't think it's Cheers. Um, Also, you don't like comedy, so I can probably rule out Frasier and Seinfeld. And, man, I...
1: I I didn't say... Well, hold on. I I didn't say that I didn't select any comedies. In fact, I will tell you that I selected... Two of the three shows I selected were comedies because... And this is one, because uh, the shows were more popular at that time.
2: Well, that's very helpful. Um, For that reason, I am obligated to go with Fraser. Ooh.
1: No, that is not correct. Let me give you one hint. Can I give you a hint?
2: Sure. Yeah, absolutely.
1: Okay. This show was based around a TV newsroom and had a reboot a couple of years ago that was rather unsuccessful.
2: Well, the obvious answer would be well I think the show is, is more successful than you would get a credit for being but uh the newsroom eh,
1: no sorry I I enjoyed the newsroom very much uh, on HBO a few years ago but uh, unfortunately that was neither a, a reboot uh, nor a comedy uh the answer to this uh, my friend uh, and a lot of our loyal casties are screaming into their uh, computers right now or, or their devices is Murphy Brown
2: okay well I don't have a regret because I'm not going to say I've never heard of that. That'll make them angrier. <laughs> uh, but it's a dumb name. How about that?
1: All right. All right. Candace Berg and Murphy Brown. Very popular show for many, many years uh, back in the day on CBS. But uh, all right. Well, we'll 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 go forward and, and see if you can do better in the next one. How's that sound?
2: OK. Yeah. Okay. Um, we'll see how uh, you like this one. This
0: is exactly what I need. Former child star. Literally getting the hook. Hoisted on his own petard. Hung out to dry.
2: Okay,
1: I get it. <laughs> Did you see that? He just declined my call. Boy, I feel like I should recognize that voice. I I think this is a, a comedy, and again, that's my uh, that's my Achilles heel. So I really don't know. I'm gonna say, uh, "How I Met Your Mother."
2: Um, that's not correct. I mean, I can give you more hints here. You you gave me some hints. It's one of those shows that like. They're really not sure if it is a comedy or not. This is when TV shows decided just to make every character really, really snarky. And mm. it's like serious source material, but it's funny because it's like lots of dark gallows humor. And I never really got that. I guess I get that. But uh, yeah, yeah, the uh, people really swooned over
1: this particular
2: actor. I never really got it. But uh, I mean, he seems like a like a kind person, I guess.
1: Yeah. Well, that helped me absolutely not at all. It's <laughs> giving me a dark, dark, uh, gallows humor <laughs> genre and some actor. Yeah, I don't know. Who, 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 who we got there? Uh, this is Castle. Oh, it was Castle. Yeah. And, you know, the the funny part is that I actually watched Castle regularly. I just did not. Uh, I did not recognize Nathan Fillion's voice there. Yeah, they
2: say it's pretty distinctive and very dreamy. Yeah. Um, but uh yeah, well, yeah. He's, in
1: that, he's in that show the rookie now too and i actually watched that i'm gonna blame it on you because i don't think it was loud enough i'm just oh. gonna throw out an excuse okay I okay i couldn't hear it very well so
2: all right okay i'm raising it up to 100 <laughs> percent next time your ears blasted out
1: all right all right that was a good one that was a good one all right uh, so it's still one nothing you got it you got a chance to tie it up here because i didn't uh, i didn't run away with it on you there how could you possibly know best thing to do with that brick is to put it on the table
0: this really doesn't prove that i had anything to do with the murder you know oh i'm
2: afraid it does mr andrews you see it proves you were in the house on the night of the murder if you hadn't seen that sample you wouldn't have known where to look
1: that should be enough if you're going to get this one
2: oh boy but now <laughs> you know you've given me a murder mystery here and i'm like well Okay, maybe it's Poro or Por. I don't know how to pronounce it, but that's, I don't know why anyone in America would have been watching that in 1991, <laughs> but then definitely, maybe,
1: not, definitely not in the top 10, there were no PBS shows that uh, I I pulled from, or BBC.
2: So it can't be Miss Marple, Miss Marple, Miss mm. Maple? No, um,
1: this isn't going well.
2: I gotta think, it's probably just like classic 90s shows, it's probably just named after a random character. Um, because they have no idea how to do seo back in this day um i'm gonna well, say well,
1: let, me, let me give you another hint here uh-huh. because i can see you're not gonna get it so you have actually said part of the title already in your little diatribe here
2: i imagine it's murder yeah pretty sure it's murder mm-hmm. um <laughs> i'm gonna call us say the murder files
1: oh uh, no again no, this is a, a clip from the classic show Murder She Wrote.
2: Oh, you know what it was on my mind
1: yeah. um
2: but I I was like that sounds too late in the decade in the century. Yeah, to- no,
1: it was still it was still going strong on Sunday nights uh, after a uh, 60 minutes. Um, yeah, 60 minutes was actually the top rated uh, show network show of 1991, but Murder She Wrote was not far behind it. So Good old uh, Jessica Fletcher, Angela Lansbury, uh, doing her thing there with uh, Tom Bosley as the uh, classic sheriff. I always thought the, the best wrap to that series would have been if on the last episode we found out that uh, Jessica Fletcher had actually committed all of the murders uh, over the course of the 10-year run of the show. That would, have, that would have wrapped it up really nicely for me.
2: That would have been beautiful. And by the way, <laughs> viewers, she might have done that. We're not going to spoil it for you. She might have. That's just a thing yes. Craig was thinking about.
1: Yes, if you want to go back to like 1993 or whenever when this uh, show ended its run and, and see the last episode, it could have happened. It could have yeah. happened. No spoiler alerts here. All right, so um, still one nothing. I, I guess we should do as we've done before, where I play my last clip uh, to give you a shot uh, at tying it up. Does that that's sound al- sound that's good? That's,
2: that's awfully fair of uh, you.
1: Well, you know, I'm I'm not overly since you didn't get Murphy Brown and Murder She Wrote, <laughs> I'm not overly optimistic here. But uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna see.
2: Uh, Julia, uh, he's always saying stuff like uh, she doesn't really know
0: anything about the decorating business. She just thinks she knows.
2: Oh, he's just jealous.
0: He and his partner are trying to start their own design house. Yeah, if we don't know anything, how come he's such a good customer?
1: I don't know, but if he don't watch his mouth, he's gonna be a gone customer. Anthony, he? hey, why are you so cranky? Okay, any any hints there?
2: Um was the main character in that scene.
1: It's an ensemble cast. Um, Did it give you any hint uh, when you heard perhaps an accent or two that might uh, indicate where this uh, was uh, taking place, where this like, show happened?
2: Like, maybe in the South? I mm, don't know. Yeah. But that, I don't, mm, I don't know, man. Um, is it the Cosby show? <laughs>
1: no no i'm, oh I'm afraid God, not. no no yeah, you're not gonna you're not gonna get this because like <laughs> I say if you didn't get murder she wrote then you know you're a hopeless case uh this this was a, a very popular show at the time this was designing women what uh I, they were like name. yeah i mean they were designers i can't remember if they were like interior designers or if they did design work out of this uh uh house in atlanta and they had this guy who worked with them you heard him talking you know there are a lot of people in this show that you would know from other things probably like gene smart and
2: oh annie potts
1: yeah annie potts was in the show yeah absolutely Delta- i'm sorry i'm, Delta I'm sorry was another one yeah no it, it's uh i i really you know i had more i had more hope for you i didn't figure you'd get designing women but i thought murphy brown and and uh murder she wrote you you'd have a shot at but oh. uh
2: murder shiro was the opportunity all
1: right so so uh you got to give me the third one here right so I got to get a shot to get uh two out of three which would actually be a record for this I don't think we've ever gotten two out of (laughs) three before
2: yeah let's chase that milestone
1: okay about it's a pull-up
2: Axel. what you and the
3: president fail to understand is that everyone's gonna laugh at me
1: dude you can do it you weigh like three pounds it's all physics here Watch and learn. Think people are going to laugh at you when you do this?
0: Oh, 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 god, no. no, Open the door. Open the door. Oh,
1: Oh, I had such high hopes for being the first to come up with two out of three unassisted. So I heard the reference to at the beginning to the president. Is that any hint about this show?
2: I wouldn't uh, let that guide you too much.
1: Well, it's a comedy. Uh, at least it seemed like it was a comedy.
2: You would hope so. You would really hope so. <laughs>
1: um, yeah. Again, my Achilles heel probably should recognize the voices. OK, I'm going to say uh, I'm just going to keep saying how I met your mother until I uh, get it eventually right.
2: That, my friend, is not correct,
1: <laughs>
2: but that's OK. That's OK. Um, was, let's see what what when, when did what when met your mother end Oh yeah, it ended in 2014. yeah good 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 idea.
1: Good luck oh, I was at least in the in the time range, right?
2: Yeah this was the middle.
1: and you could tell oh.
2: that uh sort of distinctive voice of the
1: the younger sibling. Uh, um, yeah yeah no but, I, I, I never saw that. my my opportunity' here was with castle i'm I'm kicking myself over that one.
2: Yeah, no, but uh you know, excellent performance. you did what you had to do. you got the win. Trounce me once again um gen x i am i'm so sorry i don't want to be this way
1: <laughs> hey one one nothing victory it's like uh you know makes for a boring baseball game but it, a wins a win
2: it is it is that's good pitching you <laughs> pitched well craig
1: <laughs> i did i did all right good, good times my friend good times uh well you know we'll come up with uh maybe down the line we'll have a fourth generational clash not sure what it'll be Maybe poetry from our day. Um, I, I don't know. We'll have to we'll have to mull that over. Reading uh, okay. from reading straight from novels, uh, that could that could be pretty ugly.
2: Yeah, I don't know. TED talks from each year. <laughs>
1: um, I'm not sure there there were TED talks 30 years ago. That that could be that could be some real trouble for you. If I'm making stuff up, you know, it's bad enough when I'm I'm giving you real real things. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so if you'd like to check out the archive of Coffee with Craig and James, uh, just go anywhere you get your podcasts. Of course, we can always be found on the flagship, com. James, you have something to say?
2: I was just going to say, flagship, but maybe I took the wrong cue there.
1: (laughs) Well, you know, any way you say it, any way you crack it, if you find us on the flagship or anywhere else, uh, we appreciate your avid listenership thanks so much for joining us and we'll catch you again next time be excellent to each other everyone